Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. Uh, here we go. So um, we're looking at the camera now. Yeah, isn't that fancy? Yeah. Uh, it takes one video, and yeah. we realize that there's a camera involved. Um, this is a podcast, folks, if you're not familiar with it. My name is Elliot Morgan. This is my good friend, Peter Rollins. He is a philosopher from Northern Ireland, and I am not. And we talk about all, all sorts of things uh, on this podcast. If you're new, there's a whole back catalog that you can subscribe to on iTunes. Uh, Peter has a Patreon as well, patreon.com. Yep slash Peter Rollins, where you can watch this sometimes as a live stream, but you definitely post it earlier, yeah. all that fun stuff, and uh, you do all sorts of seminars and all sorts of talks and all sorts of brainy stuff. Um, and I sometimes like brainy stuff, but today we are switching it up a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm, quote unquote, taking the lead on this. Yep. So the way it normally works is I do, I say hi, and then you say something really smart, and yeah. then I say a bunch of dumb stuff, and then we go back and forth. Yeah. Well, we're going to start with the dumb stuff. <laughs> or the dumb person, I guess, isn't dumb stuff. So uh, here's what we're going to talk about. A little bit about the idea mm-hmm. or the concept yep. of addiction. Uh-huh. Okay. And then we're going to talk about hypnosis. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Do you yeah. have thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Great. Yeah, <laughs> Get ready. Uh, I'm just basically me leading. It just means I'm going to put a bunch of stuff on you that you have yeah. to kind of think of really quick. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically, here's the backstory for this. So I'm doing dry January right yeah. now. Um, and I'm, I love it. I think it's the most, it's great. It's better. I feel like I spent the holidays um, uh, just going crazy. And so, a lot of folks that I've heard when they're doing dry January are very like, um, they hate it and they're like, I just can't wait. I can't wait to get a drink or whatever. I have not had that at all, but I know that maybe it'll come. I don't think it really will, but I probably will end up drinking when I travel to, I'm going to, um, on vacation at the end of the month for, uh, my girlfriend's and my anniversary. So all that said, I stumbled on this video. Mm-hmm. from the Joe Rogan podcast. Okay. Uh, similar to ours, uh, similar mm-hmm. podcast. And his guest was Nikki Glaser, who's a comedian, very funny. And the title of the video was uh, the one book uh, Nikki read to stop drinking or something like that. Yeah. And I was very curious about that. And yeah. so I clicked on the video and she started talking about this book that I thought was going to be like, very heavy and very like academic for some reason. And instead it it's literally called how the easy way to control alcohol. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I read this book. Uh, she was like, it, it, the book makes all these claims where it's like, I'm listening to the audiobook. Um, it's like, if you listen to this mm-hmm. at the end of it, you will have no desire to drink, mm-hmm. but it will be easy and it will be permanent. Yeah. And fast, immediate, permanent. I've and seen easy. adverts about dieting that's similar to this. Yes, yeah, it's okay. very yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's um, uh, too good to be true type mm-hmm. claims. So she starts. She's explaining how she and wrote she'll this tell book. you uh, the book tells you how to make ten thousand dollars a month from, from home. Your, from home, yeah, yeah it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Boss for coffee and yeah. uh, not with no alcohol in it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, one of my friends was doing jai dry January last year. And he was telling me about this while drinking a beer. He was saying, oh, I'm in dry January. And I was like, 
you're drinking a beer. And he's like, ah, beer, it doesn't count as alcohol. <laughs> yes. That is an Irish dry January yeah, for you. the most <laughs> Irish thing you could possibly do. Yeah, new irony, you. by the way, new irony is he was supping a beer. And he's like, ah, that, that doesn't count. Yeah, come, don't be <laughs> That's ridiculous. not alcohol. I'm not a nerd. Uh, yeah, it's which that would go against what this book is saying for sure. Uh, and I'm definitely not like, I'm not doing sober uh, January. I yeah. still I enjoy marijuana and all that fun stuff. So that's yeah. a different thing, um, which we can get into because there's the idea of you quit it and then you supplement it with something and, you know, all that. And it's like the dry drunk idea. You stop drinking, but you do a billion other things that are bad for you. Um, so anyway, Nikki Glaser in this video is describing her journey with drinking. And it was like very similar to my own journey with it, where it's sort of like something I did. It became something that like was part of my brand and is part of my brand. And then it became something where it felt a little too much. Like it just felt like waking up tired, uh, looking forward to a drink all the time, kind of suspending, having to confront whatever is going on. And, uh, and then she talked about how when she quit, you know, it sort of caused a, uh, after reading this book, it caused this sort of pivot in her career and things just got better, which I've heard that before. A buddy of mine named Michael Buckley uh, is a wonderful human being, has the same kind of idea. You stop drinking, life gets better. Okay. And that's He's the guy the with the sex problem as well, you told me about? Yes, he yep. is. Yes, huge sex right, problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, sex, sex addict. Sex absolutely. Addict, out of his crazy. mind. That still uh, hasn't been fixed. No, yeah, absolutely okay. not. Well, so I'm, be on the lookout. I'm praying for him. He's wanted in a lot of states. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's a sweetheart and he does, does all these like very inspirational videos. Um, he's a life coach and he's talking about, you know, yeah. all this... Uh, stuff and um he's kind of life coach that i enjoy listening yeah to. um we won't get into that's a different yeah yeah, uh, yeah. episode <laughs> uh which is it there's a bingo yeah so yeah so i she's talking about how it it sort of changes everything and then she's like i don't miss it she's like i don't miss drinking and uh she credits this book and so i look into this book and i immediately am just like let's give this a go and see how it goes and well before i did that i looked up the reviews mm -hmm. i've never seen like universally positive reviews on yeah. something like that. Like it would be the equivalent of the, you know, make 10 grand a month from home thing, but people that being works. like, this works. <laughs> yeah. Like thousands of people being like, this works. And so I was like, well, this is interesting because it's it seems to be good. This like, podcast is sponsored by the book, by the way. Yes, You're getting paid $10,000. Even though the guy's dead. This. Oh, is he dead? Yeah, he's very dead. From alcohol addiction. So, <laughs> dude, dude, oh, no. yes, oh, listen, no. he died. <laughs> he, his first book was called The Easy Way to Quit Smoking. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, he, he he died of lung cancer for oh, sure uh, because he, he'd smoked like 100 cigarettes a day or something, like uh -huh. some kind of insane amount. But that, that's his trick is stop drinking alcohol and just start smoking like that's crazy. kind of yes and he talks yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah. anyway so he he <laughs> wrote this book called the easy way to quit smoking and that was his big like breakout success and apparently the story behind it is he like he would smoke constantly and then one day he like put the last cigarette out and he like got up and he was like okay i'm done He's and done. he went into his family to his family and he was like I'm going to write a book and I'm going to explain to people, he's like, how to get out of smoking cigarettes. So that's the trick. You have to write a book about not smoking. I think that's or part of drinking. it for him. Oh yeah, yeah that's it good. It definitely seemed yeah. to be. But yeah. so then I'm, I'm reading a lot of the, then I go on Reddit and I go on like the subreddits, which I didn't know these existed, but there's subreddits for like quit drinking, quit smoking and all this stuff. And I just search his name and there's these people talking about his book. And then on there, everyone is like, oh no, this guy, this is like a Bible for this yeah. quitting smoking. It's a Bible for quitting drinking. Um, and everyone was like, this, I, 
they're like, I read his book and was sober for the longest stretch I've ever been sober and like that kind of thing, mm -hmm. even if they weren't permanently successful. And uh, yeah, and so a lot of the stuff, and this is getting into the hypnosis part, a lot of the reviews are like, I think it's some kind of, of hypnosis. Like I think it's some kind of um, uh, the way he speaks the, or the way he words everything seems to be the very little I know about hypnosis. It seems to be that kind of structure where it's like, this is going to happen. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. This is, you can trust mm -hmm. me. Da, 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 da. And then, uh, you know, open your mind, give me leeway. And the way he opens the book on drinking is he's like, he's essentially disagreeing with a lot of the AA mantra um while crediting the the program or the fellowship or something i don't remember what he calls it but yeah. um he credits them with sort of pioneering a lot of the the anti-drinking stuff but he goes immediately into what addiction is what an alcoholic is and all this stuff and he sort of demystifies a lot of those terms rather than sort of putting all this pressure because he's like how is it that how is it that AA, like if you're like, I'm an alcoholic, am I an alcoholic? Which I've gone through phases. We've talked about mm. this before where I've been like, oh my God, am I, am I an alcoholic? I'm freaking out. And uh, if you go to the AA like quiz, it asks you questions that are like, do you ever have a drink when you're stressed out? Do you ever have a drink before work? Do you ever have a drink? And if you check any of the boxes, yeah. then they're like, those bastards are just doing that because they know everyone will say yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then if you check any of them, the answer yeah. you get is you may be an alcoholic. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, how is it that if you check any of them, you might, he's like, what's the point of taking the quiz if you just might be? And then they're like, if you are an alcoholic, only you know you're an alcoholic. And if you know you're an alcoholic, by the way, there's no cure for it. And you're going to be one forever. Yeah. And you can never drink again. This is, by the way, you're going to be day. miserable. And he's like, no one's going to do that. Yeah, this is what, like some religious groups that where they go out in the street and go like, do you think of yourself as a moral person? And go, yeah, well, have you ever told a white lie? Uh, yes. And go like, you're damned to hell. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's not quite like that, but it's similar Would a moral to, person yeah. do that? Would a yeah. Moral person lie. You can you can definitely um, get catch people out. So yeah. he's saying, yeah, he doesn't want any, doesn't want to do that approach. Yeah, doesn't like that approach. Thinks it's a little extreme, or maybe not extreme, but um, self defeating because you're sort of like, how would you, how can you, how would anybody want to quit when a it's up to them to decide basically if they're an alcoholic, and then the news if you do decide you're an alcoholic is horrible. It's like mm -hmm. you can never drink again. You're done, and uh, and you're, there's something wrong with you. You have a different chemical makeup than everybody else. You have a, you yeah. have an addictive personality. That's a big thing. Like I, I have a friend who has done AA and it really worked for him, but it's difficult because he's been dry for twenty years or more, and there's part of him going like, I, you know, I think I think I could have a drink, but there's this big thing that he has in the back of his mind because he's been told all the time that if you take one drink, one drop, one drop, you're done, you're done. You're and, back, um, you're on yeah, the streets. Yeah. And, it's, and of course, like, it's always a possibility. So it's like, uh, it's like, what do you do with that? So yeah. I, do you want to roll the dice on that? <laughs> um, but it does, it does lock you into, not obviously this isn't AA completely, but some people I've seen are, yeah, are locked into this kind of, yeah. like, I can never, even, even if you cheer someone and a bit of someone else's beer drips into your drink, you can't right. take it. You, you know. smell it too much yeah. of it. That's it. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, all right, this is interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll give this a go. And so I downloaded the, the audiobook and I blew through the first three hours of it in yeah. like, well, three hours. Uh, <laughs> and I just had it. It was like a Sunday afternoon. I had my headphones in and I was just like, okay, okay, okay. And I also love the idea of 
hypnosis. I think it's so fascinating. And I also am, I think, of the type of mind that I could be easily hypnotized. Like, I don't think I have some, I don't think this bad boy's a steel trap. Like, yeah. I'm very like, <laughs> you want to mess with it? Yeah, go for it. Have fun. Um, and so after, what was interesting was after it was like halfway done, I was like, okay. I was like, I see what this guy's doing. And it was very... And was it nicely written? And you know, were you kind of like, mm -hmm. obviously you were pretty... And it's, yeah, and he says in the beginning, immersed. he's like, I'm not telling you anything new. He was like, this is all common sense. He's like, but... Uh, oh, and then the fun thing that he does is he's like, I had already quit uh, before I started reading the book, like a couple of days before. But he was like, if you have quit, uh, if you haven't had a drink in over 24 hours, he's like, don't start up again. He's like, but if you haven't, uh, he's like, keep drinking. He's like, don't stop drinking until the end of this book. Re like, he's like, read it sober. Damn, he missed out then. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah. I was like, I should have started. You could have taken months listening to that. Like, a audio few book. hours, just a few <laughs> hours. Um, he's like, no, because he's like, I want you to drink it. And as you're drinking it, I want you to question what you're getting out of it. And he's like, is it, does it really taste good? Are you actually becoming more brave? Do you actually feel less stressed out uh, as a whole? And he kind of goes through all of the the benefits, quote unquote, of alcohol. And is essentially like, yeah, this, none of these, these are all made up. None of these are true. Mm. And uh, I know it is, it is this weird secret that we all keep, where we all know that most alcohol tastes disgusting, but we all pretend to ourselves and each other that it doesn't. Yeah. That like one big glass of mango juice is going to be better than most cocktails. But yeah. We, don't, we kind of, we're, we're part of this very interesting uh, yep. secret society where we don't admit it. Yeah. Just like, and yeah, and that's yeah, a yeah. whole chapter is just like, <laughs> and then he's like, what do you do? You add other things to it. You're like, it all tastes bad. All <laughs> alcohol tastes horrible. He's yeah. Like, but if you add orange juice or yeah. mango juice, or you add, you know, Coke or soda or something, lime, you can cut the taste. It can be pleasant, but it's still just making it tolerable. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, he's like, so it doesn't taste good. He's like, it doesn't quench your thirst. Yeah. Um, it might temporarily because you feel the, the water in it. He's like, but it dehydrates yeah. you in the long. So he's just, you know, it's all common sense stuff, mm -hmm. but the way he structures it is so convincing. Mm -hmm. That it does, there is a sense of like, no, it's just a psychological thing. You just go, okay, yeah, not interested in it. Anyway, yeah, what do you got? Thoughts? Oh, this is great. I am fascinated. Uh, thoughts. Um, okay, so well, then I'm going to ask a few more questions first. Uh, his main approach is that simply to help you think about why you drink or to kind of point out that drinking is not really doesn't give you the benefits that you think it does. Mm -hmm. like what's what's the, the angle that he's... So it seems to be, because I haven't finished it yet. I got yeah. a couple more hours left on it. And uh, it's it's basically the case he's making mm -hmm. as a whole. Um, he, he compares it, he calls it the alcohol trap or the drug trap. And he's like... He, the meta, the analogy, metaphor, the metaphor he uses is the uh, pitcher plant. Do you know what that is? No. It's like a Venus flytrap, same idea as a Venus flytrap, but it is basically this uh, plant that is open at the end, at the top, and it's a cone at the, you know, cones down, but there is a nectar in it that it produces that attracts flies, and uh -huh. the flies become intoxicated by the nectar, but by the shape of it as they go down the pitcher plant they eventually become trapped in it and they die and so he's like alcohol he's like but the fly 
has no choice. He's like, so you have no reason to feel guilty about drinking or over drinking or being addicted to something. He's like, because you never had a choice. You've been brainwashed to believe that alcohol is difficult to quit and that it alleviates your stress. He's like, both of those things are a lie. It's incredibly easy to quit and it doesn't uh, alleviate your stress. And so he's like, at what point when you were drinking, did you become, did you lose control? And his argument is that you never had control. Like the fly in the pitcher plant, the moment you started doing it, you are in a constant, uh, if not slower than some and faster than others, descent into the trap. Right. So he's he's not taking the style of here are some practical techniques. Maybe there's a few, but it's more if you can understand, if you can simply understand how you get trapped in this and how unappealing it is. Mm-hmm. That that awareness is enough to break your desire for yes. alcohol. And his he also makes it, and I think this is interesting, you might have thoughts on this. There is a, uh, he's very against the idea of willpower. He's yeah. like, the, the when you think of it in terms of willpower, you're de- it's the idea that you're depriving yourself of something and that you only are, are tempted to do something if you think you're getting something out of it. Yeah. So he's basically like, you're not getting anything out of this. And so the willpower part goes away. It's not like you don't need to be sitting there going, if I, if only I had a drink, because that is caused by the drink. So yes. it's like all you're doing is satiating the desire that's caused by the thing that's satiating the desire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's all good. So yeah, because there, there is an issue. The more you willpower and the more you try to force something, we've talked about this before, the more you desire the transgression and you get into this weird back and forth mm-hmm. or you supplement it. So you start drinking Diet Coke like crazy yeah. or something like that. So he's kind of going like, chill out, calm down, relax. Yeah, calm down, relax. And also know that you can, you have to face, it's not solving your problems, which mm-hmm. again, this is all basic, yeah. basic stuff. But then- what was in, what's been interesting is so in my this month has been because I spent the holidays just like we're having fun we're doing whatever um, I'm not wasn't working out wasn't really handling things like just sort of well, it's the end of the year whatever this month has been so weird because it's the same crap you hear about all the time but it's like with being with having a clearer head now I'm actually having to deal with the stresses that I wasn't dealing with, with the, uh, with drinking. And it's been better, but it's also been slightly miserable in that sense, because I'm actually having to deal with the stuff. Like I've had to realize that I, oh, actually might be a little, little depressed, little bit, you know, in a funk. And I truly was in denial about that until I like stopped drinking. But I don't think it's because I'm like, you know, it's not like I'm going to like snap out of it now. It's not like it's like, oh, well, now that I'm not drinking, I know how to handle this. And I'm like, I have no idea. So I'm just sitting here going like, oh, crap. This has just been in the background the entire time. It's just been being muted. Um, And so hopefully, yeah, that's has long term benefits, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Okay. So it's time for you to stop drinking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Nietzsche, funnily enough, he thought the two big uh, intoxicants of Western civilization were alcohol and religion. And they were both ways to the avoid- opiate of the people. What's that? Religion is the opiate yeah. of the people. Yeah, well, that was Marx. But yeah, it's kind oh, of- Oh, that Marx? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, although funnily enough, yeah, Marx, when he said that, that's fascinating. He, um, that's in the, uh, his introduction to Hegel's philosophy of right. And he says, 
He says, religion is the opiate of the people. It is the soulless of a soulless condition, the heart of a heartless nation. It is the imaginary flowers and the chains of our oppression. And then he says, we must get rid of the imaginary flowers, not so that we see our chains and despair, but so that we can break the chains and pick living flowers. Yeah. So it's a beautiful thing where he says, basically, he basically yeah, sure. says, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But it's, it's fascinating with this idea is that um, it's like, he says that religion is in its kind of popular form. It is what we need to take as life is so difficult. So we take it as a painkiller. People took opiate as a painkiller. And he says, totally fine. Of course, you're going to do that. He says, the only problem is it stops you from seeing the things that enchain you. So if you stop it, you can, you can see the chains, the stresses of mm -hmm. your everyday life, and then you can make changes and then you can pick living flowers. So it's a nice, nice yeah, thing. And Nietzsche beautiful. says something similar to that. And he goes like, you know, alcohol can make you feel good, but it does dull you to making real changes in your life and really embracing existence in yeah. all of its difficulty and beauty. Yeah, I feel yeah. like a, a, a small scale uh, experiencing that because it's also been, I think a part of it is is things are great for me on ev basically every <clears throat> facet right now. Like things are good. It, I mean, but so in the past season, the fall winter time, it's been a sense of just like, I got nothing to worry about. So it's yeah. like, I might I, like things are okay. Things are good. There's been drama. There's been all this crap. There's been, you know, some dark stuff, but as a whole, mm -hmm. I got a pretty good, pretty good thing going here yeah. compared to me, you know, three or four years ago. And so the idea that there is change still that I wasn't seeing was sort of ridiculous to me and kind of uh, embarrassing to be like, oh, I can't really be sad because I got it pretty, pretty good. And I, I can't stand when people complain, but that you can tell that they have it pretty good and they yeah. lack that like perspective. But uh, I still was like, oh yeah, no, this is still, this, when you clear everything out, there's still crap going on. And I was like, this is what they talk about. This is that philosophy crap. Yeah. And that's it. Like there's, you know, the two types of trauma, the traumas that happen to you and the trauma that is you. And uh, no one gets rid of the second one. Like yeah. there's the traumas that occur in life and there's the trauma that is life. You can't even get rid of the trauma that is me. Yeah, <laughs> I've tried. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, there's something about like, you know, alcohol or drugs that can help alleviate the suffering a little bit. Yeah. But ultimately, um, you it's come better back. to it's waiting. Yeah, it's waiting. The return of the repressed. Um, uh, as an aside, I uh, I got really excited this week because I saw that um, the uh, Jeopardy is doing the greatest of all time um, series right now. Have you seen this? Do you watch Jeopardy? No, no, I, I've heard of it because I know it's a big thing, but I don't know if I've ever even seen it. So yeah, it's um, it's it's trivia. It's for yeah. smart people, and uh, I'm not good at trivia at all. But I got super stoked about the greatest of all time because it's like there's this guy named Ken Jennings who I, growing up, he just did this huge winning streak where he like won like seventy something episodes uh, in a row, oh and then goodness. they brought this other guy on who won the most per game of anybody, and this other guy who did this other thing, and uh, there was a category called philosophy, and I was like, hell yeah, here we oh, go, yeah. and uh, I was like, this is I, I'm going to know this stuff. I do a podcast with a philosopher. I'm going to I'm going to nail these. Um, I didn't get a single one. Can you um, remember any of them? Yes, I, I can, okay, and I'm yeah. going to tell you the most embarrassing one. Uh, I uh, was it. So what was it? It was so over Christmas. Uh, Grace got me socks with Kierkegaard's face on them. 
Nice. And the word Kierkegaard, because she was like, who's your favorite philosopher? I was like, I don't know, Kierkegaard. And um, then the category, first one on the philosophy thing is like, this philosopher wrote um, Fear and Trembling under the pseudonym, da 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 And I was like, Nietzsche! And then uh, it was like, Kierkegaard. And I was like, shit. Um, and I was like, I should have known that. I was wearing that man's socks today. Yeah. And uh, so just so you know, yeah, if, if you're listening and you think this is going to teach you how to do better philosophy trivia, probably won't. Or maybe it will and you, you're... You'll be better at paying attention to the names. Or there. just buy socks. Just buy philosophy. Just buy socks. the socks. That's, yeah. that's the, the the lesson here. Yeah. yeah. Talk the talk and then walk <laughs> the walk, but in the socks. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's the extent of it. Wow. Um, anyway, so yeah, you should check out the Jeopardy. Thing. Okay. You'd probably be really good at it. You would have gotten every one of them. I don't know, because philosophy is so not about uh, general knowledge. It's all about how to think. So most philosophers, you know, aren't really getting general knowledge but i suppose it's an area that hopefully i would at least know the base you know who said yeah. what who wrote what and that kind of thing yeah i i, I, I tried throwing that kind of thing out as a disclaimer <laughs> when i was watching i was like i don't know you know, it's not, you know it's not really about trivia dates and names you know it's more <laughs> just like existent you know whatever and then i was still embarrassed when i didn't know fear or blanked on fear and trembling yeah. anyway yeah. Back to addiction. Which, by the way, you know Kierkegaard on all of this like he was a bit straight edge just like nietzsche like he he was worried that um, we try to avoid the trauma that is life at all costs. Yeah. And his primary two are either through kind of the uh, a hedonistic kind of approach or even an ethicist type of approach. What's ethicist? Uh, somebody who's kind of tries to be morally upright, do the right thing and, and kind of be a, uh, a good citizen. Um, he sees that as well as sometimes being a way to avoid responsibility for one's own uh, life. Mm -hmm. And uh, funnily enough for him, we call that Twitter today. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, and his, his response was to weirdly the religious leap, but into responsibility. Um, his was the religious leap as an into religion. Yeah. But for him kind of, there was like these, these stages and the last stage is this stage in which you uh, leap into the unknown. Yeah. And, uh, Which is a, yeah, it's sort of like an AA when they're like talking about the higher power thing. And then yeah. people in AA, or I think some people are discouraged by AA because of the, the religious underpinnings of it. But then nowadays it's sort of just like, no, it's a higher power. It's something it's above, it's, transcends who you are, which I would equate to being something like the unknown. In yeah. Yeah. And Kierkegaard, it's a, he's a tough one because sometimes, sometimes, you know, it, it's hard to figure out exactly what he means drag by him. God, but um, what's that? What drag him? <laughs> drag him like uh, in, like lay into him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, what do you not like about Kierkegaard? Um, no, I do really like him. I'd like he's the you know he's one of the greatest thinkers of the modern kind of period. Um, and I think uh, he's doing something very similar to to Nietzsche. Um, and so yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan. Um, and he. I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know what there is about him that is enough contra controversial enough to really have a hard and fast like negativity toward. Yeah, him. yeah. I mean, so the philosopher Heidegger basically took Kierkegaard's work and then secularized it. Kind of took all the best out of it, but where you didn't necessarily need to buy into some of the religious language. So you know, you could sometimes see Heidegger's work as a type of kind of more universal type of. Kierkegaard. Oh, really? And and it's all about being towards death, taking responsibility for your life, not thinking in relation to the they, the crowd. Yeah. So Kierkegaard was all about taking responsibility, not thinking like everybody else thinks. Um, 
And uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, that, so that's the coolest part of Kierkegaard. Um, what is your experience? Because with and this is to pivot a little bit, but mm. the um, the way that this book that I'm listening to functions in terms of being very uh, hypnotic and some like light hypnosis. And he talks about the hypnosis in um, the beginning where he's like, it, some have said that this is hypnosis. And he's like, I don't believe that it is. He's like, but I do believe that you already have been hypnotized. You have been brainwashed in your... Um, perception of how alcohol and drugs and you know nicotine works and he was like so there is a de-brainwashing that i'm attempting to do what are your thoughts on that you got any like have you ever done hypnotherapy i have friends that have done that have straight up done the like past life regression stuff and all that which i think is really fascinating and and more connected to the unconscious than the you know actual idea of past lives yeah. but have you like when you were studying, when you were getting your doctorate, did they have any, did they ever talk about that? No, but yeah, it was definitely like in the early days, Freud experimented with hypnosis and used it to, like he was experimenting with everything. Drugs and he stopped, and right? He stopped yeah. the hypnosis stuff because it, the, the changes weren't permanent. Was that the deal? Or was yeah, it? so he did, you saw changes and definitely very dramatic changes. But I think there's a couple of reasons. One is the changes often seem to be, yeah, not permanent. Um, and then also like hypnosis is partly about me kind of like, uh, influencing you. Mm -hmm. So the strong ego of the hypnotist kind of almost kind of colonizes, becomes a superego, becomes this, this part of you. And a lot of psychoanalysis is aimed at helping you take responsibility for yourself. So the idea is actually that the analyst isn't there to impose their will, even if it's the will that you want them to impose. Yeah. You know, you're going to the analyst because things aren't working. The analyst, except in some forms of eco psychology, the role of the analyst is kind of weirdly the opposite. It's yeah. to, to it's avoid being another another kind of imposing voice in your life. That that was my first reaction to um to this guy. Uh I mean it's a reader. It's not the mm -hmm. guy, but um he's got that like very substantial British <clears throat> like hello lizard. Yeah, alcohol and he's got a little bit of humor in it a little bit of like you know uh, dry humor anyway but the first takeaway I had was that it was so bold I was yeah. like this guy's what he's saying is just shamelessly bold like yeah. I was like if I I don't know of any area in my life that I have would have that kind of like authority on. And he's talking about some of the biggest, some of the biggest stuff that affects people in the world, uh, in life. And, uh, I was like, this is interesting. And I was like, this must be part of it. This must yeah. be something where he speaks so authoritatively that you can't help but be like, this guy knows what he's talking about, yeah. but it's fine. I mean, it's like, all right, like yeah. I don't see any harm in it if it results in good stuff, but it's interesting that Freud started with the hypnosis stuff and then eventually just was like, oh no, what I meant was the total opposite. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm mean, going to land yeah. on is completely away from that. Yeah. But the, the element that you're talking about that he didn't go away from, which is the element of, Lacan calls it the subject supposed to know, where Freud says um, that the, the, the patient assumes that you're an expert and actually that's fine. In fact, that's a good thing. That's the reason why they come to you. So you're coming to this book because this person is an expert. And that that idea 
is important. So mm-hmm. if this guy's just being confident, that confidence is a good first step. What Freud wanted to move away from is then someone uses that initial confidence to um, influence you and uh, kind of try to play with your desire. And probably create their own play God a little bit, yeah. type of deal, even if they're not intending to. Even if they're not intending to. And I don't know if that guy is doing that but in a way psychoanalysis is about just analyzing your desire so instead of trying to change your desire in any way and it sounds like this guy's doing a similar thing because you said he's not trying to get you to will you to stop or anything like that he's pointing out stuff but for someone like freud again the idea is let's just analyze your desire so don't think that we're going to get you stopping drinking in fact we may not even talk about your drinking because we're going to talk about your desire in a wider Mm -hmm. way I have a friend who's just started psychoanalysis and he went in because he had a particular addiction that he wanted to work out. Here in I, LA? Uh, no, back uh, gotcha. in the UK. And um, he's he's loving it, uh, but he's going like, we hardly ever talk about it. We, we talk about all these other things, but it's having a positive impact. It, and it was for drinking? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and, and they hardly ever talk about it. They're talking about lots of other things, um, but it's, it's how it's already, you know, improving yeah. things. So, so interesting. Yeah. I, I've noticed that in my, it's not psychoanalysis, but my, you know, th- everyday therapy, um, it, he, av- I've picked up on him avoiding um, labeling uh, terms. Like yeah. he doesn't use, he wouldn't use uh, narcissistic, codependent, um, anxiety, depression, uh, all those words, yeah. he will, will never say yeah. to me. And I, and I was, cause I've said to him, I'm like, this sounds like this. And at one point it was, this was yesterday morning. Um, I was like, you're describing this. And he, he was, he just like looked down and he laughed and he goes, <laughs> maybe. And he like shrugged his shoulders. Uh, and I was like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> you're, you're doing therapy on me. Uh, but I was like, that makes way more sense because now we live in a culture right now that's very quick to label things and very quick to be like, I have this, 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 and this. And I think that that can help at times, but I also think it can be a little box that they build around. A little themselves. box that you can, you can tick. Yeah, because so this book sounds, it sounds great and I don't know it. So this is me, not me saying anything against it, but there is a thought that when you go to analysis, and you talk, you maybe go because of a particular issue, but yeah, just talking about things like your relationship with your family, your friends, your work, you start talking about all of this other stuff and you find out that it's all interconnected and Mm -hmm. just coming to know yourself better and coming to know your desire can then, can have this change in that particular area. So sometimes you don't even have to directly, sometimes it's important to directly go like, I want to, I want to slow down in my drinking. But sometimes that is just the uh, manifestation of broader symptoms that need to be looked at and talked about. Let me play a little bit of it. I want you to just hear the, how um, soothing it is. And by the way, apologies to um, folks who I just, my knuckle hit the uh, mic. So and we've already been trying to figure out how to stop crackling. I know there's a wee bit of crackle. It's terrible. I mean, we just need yeah. to get stands or something. We're not. You're a pro at this as well. Um. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, well I've seen your value for the setup. <laughs> You've got like proper. Dude, I things. literally, if I went in there and they were like, if I wanted to record something, I would have no idea how to do it. Joe oh, yeah. kind of knows. Steve under, understands it. Yeah. I don't know what to press. He, they go in there and they, I feel like they're a pilot, and they're yeah. just like. <laughs> and they're like testing levels and I'm like what how does this work um, your level's always a bit high 
It always is, yeah. <laughs> Not like this. Um, if anybody knows how to stop crackling, please let us know. And apologies for hitting the mic. But yeah, let's just listen to this. If I truly had an addictive personality, I'd have soon become addicted to everything that was going. Cannabis, heroin, cocaine, the lot. So would you if you genuinely had an addictive personality. The only people I have ever met who claim to have an addictive personality also happen to be addicted to a drug. That's very interesting. Isn't yeah. that good? Because here's the thing. I was thinking about this this morning when we were saying about addiction. But first of all, yeah, the accent, that's brilliant. It's oh, very, it's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. It's all, all Sit you by need... the fire with your slippers. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what the cure is for America, Americans being addicted to alcohol, but I know it involves a British accent in yeah. some way. Or so, or an Irish accent would probably yeah. do it too. Because, yeah, but so when you said about this and I was thinking about it and I wasn't sure what the book was going to be about, but I did, I was thinking, well... You know, one thing is that that are are human beings really addictive creatures? People talk about addiction, and of course we can have addictions of sorts. But when it comes to alcohol, for example, it's not just that you're addicted to alcohol because then you would just drink what they drank in 1984 in the um, George Orwell's book, which yeah. is just very cheap vodka that just like potching they call it in Ireland, just basically alcohol. Mm -hmm. And there are some people, very few, who will just drink anything with alcohol in that. But most of us we drink a particular drink. It's a scotch or it's a whiskey or it's a it's a gin or it's a mm -hmm. vodka with a particular name, it's a particular brand. Um, uh, you know, James Bond's a good example. He's a bit of an alcoholic, but it's a, always a vodka martini. It used to be a gin martini, vodka martini, shaken, not stirred, right? Do you like, know why they changed it to vodka? I think it was just a sponsorship. Sponsor, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I asked the question, I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, James Bond went through a, you know, just wanted to change things yeah. up. <laughs> switch things up yeah um so and i think yeah bollinger champagne he went to i forget what champagne uh, yeah, he used to yeah, drink yeah. but yeah um but the fact that as you know shake and not stirred if he's a real alcoholic who just wants to get drunk just why does it. he why does he care about shake yep. and not stirred so suddenly you're realizing oh there's all this other stuff right so if you're into a, a particular gin you're like well who was the first person you saw drinking that's that? exactly what he yeah he talks about he goes go back to when you He's like, think about the drink you have, go back to when you started drinking it. And he's like, I guarantee you, it was a fun environment, social environment. You were with someone you either wanted to uh, impress or who you respected, but all of the circumstances around it were not the alcohol. It was, it was the circumstances yeah. that caused you to go. Like, I know I like drinking scotch because it makes me feel like I'm a character out of Mad Men. Yeah. I, and I feel like an adult. I feel like a big boy. And I, feel like I got it and I have a little bit and it tastes terrible uh, and smoky and that kind of, I can acquire the taste. And he talks about acquired tastes and all that stuff and how people speak about an acquired taste with pride. And yeah. like the more you can drink and not get drunk, that's like a brag and all that stuff. That's yeah. like, it's all just, it's like, it's all just an illusion. It's like, none of it's, yeah. none of it's real. I mean, so much of what we do in drinking is one of them is we think that we have desires, our own desires, but our desires are, I mean, ultimately our desires can be thought of as the desire to get the desire of the one we desire. So we desire the desire of those we desire. And that's the most precious material in the earth. Yes. Um, and weirdly you're drinking alcohol and, and you think you like it, but you're honest and going, actually most of it tastes disgusting. But, but you started off maybe because you desired to be part of a group. Mm -hmm. So you desired the other's desire and they desired your desire. So you're all drinking something you don't like, but you're doing it not because you like it, but because you like that other people like it. Mm -hmm. But then that internalizes within you. So even though you're on your own drinking, 
you're still weirdly drinking for the other. And this is what fantasy is. We've talked about fantasy before, but again, fantasy we think is our own in, most intimate pleasure. But when you really start to take fantasy apart, you find out that fantasy begins by trying to figure out how do I give pleasure to the other? So a lot of your fantasy structure is more to do with how you think the other and the big other, which is everybody and nobody, maybe your family or your parents, how they, how you think that you can be an object of their desire. But then you so take it on that you think it's your desire. So in the same way, you take a drink at night on your own and you're enjoying it, but we're still performing for another. Oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, yes. totally. So starting to work out who are we performing for? Who Who is the audience to our fantasies? Because that is a fantasy, a, a pH fantasy. Um, it, you know, your fantasy of, you know, be it like that. I mean, a scotch, like with big ice cubes with the glass mm -hmm. and the whole vibe. Well, beautiful glass. Yeah, beautiful and... glass. And even if no one's watching you, obviously objectively, and you're just on your own having a drink, it's sometimes worth it going like, what if I was, if I, if I was on a stage, who is the audience that's looking at me? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a good question to ask. Yeah. It's, um, that's a, it's like the old, uh, not trope, but the litmus test for alcoholism is, would always be like, well, do you drink alone? And yeah. I, I was always like, well, no, because if I feel alone, that's why I, I'm drinking. Like if I drink, I don't feel alone because in my mind, I'm doing the thing that I do when I'm around a bunch of people having fun. So it's my, as I'm drinking it, I don't feel alone. I feel like I'm and you know, this is just what you do. And yeah. then you realize you're alone, but you don't feel it because you know deep, yeah, there's yeah. something in there where you're like, oh, I am kind of doing this still because I think I should be, or yeah. I think it makes me cool, or I yeah. think it's gonna help something. Well, here, here's a good example of someone I know changing names, of course. Um, so as someone who went to therapy here, I know, and, um, they introduced themselves to the therapist as, um, uh, what's the name where you've got a shortened kind of fun, a kind of a nickname. Uh, yeah. Nickname, not even a nickname. So there's like, uh, uh, let's go for Jonathan, right? So this person pseudonym, was, stage name. No, no, no. Just Johnny, Johnny oh. and Jonathan, right? When okay. that. So introduced himself as Jonathan and, uh, sat down doing the therapy. And then about two weeks later, uh, he's talking about himself in the third person. He uses the term Johnny. And the analyst just was like, oh, I noticed you, you introduced yourself as Jonathan, but in this story, you call yourself Johnny. You know, why is that? And what kind of spilled out of that is a clever move because it was like when he drinks, um, he's Johnny, which is like fun and crazy and this. But when he's doing his everyday life, he's Jonathan. So what ended up coming out is, he's performing a part. He's, he's Johnny when he's drinking. He's like this crazy, cool person who everyone knows is Johnny. And then in his everyday life, he's Jonathan. And once you start to unpick that, you go, oh yeah, who's he playing this part for? He's, he's playing it for his friends and his family and other people. Cause we all Partner, love that part yeah. of it. And even if, um, even if like he's doing something destructive, uh, like, you know, getting so drunk and, and falling down and hurting himself. We all Johnny. find it such a laugh. That's Johnny. That's Johnny. Look at you him know? Go. <laughs> I go, like, oh, yeah. So there's a performative dimension to this activity that he, that, yeah. that, that, and that all of his friends are playing into, that he's yeah. playing into, his friends are playing into. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is not just he likes to drink. 
there's a whole persona that's connected with it. Yeah, and yeah. A, and a, a a part of himself that he's probably not letting out unless he drinks. Yeah, thinking that the drink is what's letting it out. That's it. Fun. And, yeah, and again, none of that comes out directly in terms of it's just the oh, there's a slight change. Why did you call yourself John? Oh yeah, because that's a persona. That's yeah. a, something else that's coming out. That reminds me of one of my favorite Weezer songs, which is "Summer Elaine and Drunk Dory," and. I've loved the song since I first heard it. Um, and it's about, it was, the name is derived from Rivers Cuomo who went to a, like a parent teacher conference um, or like a parent teacher end of school year party uh, with the teachers and the kids and all this stuff. And they had like wine and stuff. And one of the uh, husbands or no, excuse me, one of the teachers, Elaine was saying that uh, during the summer, my husband calls me summer Elaine because uh I, uh, I'm just more fun. I'm not, you know, doing homework. And then one of her friends said, oh yeah, my, um, my husband calls me, uh, when I have a little bit, he calls me drunk Dory. Uh, my, her name is Dory. So, was, so Rivers Cuomo was like summer Elaine and drunk Dory. And then he went, put that into his spreadsheet of weirdness and <laughs> ended up writing a whole song about it, but it's not actually about them at all because there's, have I talked talk to you about this weird no. way that this dude writes songs? It's like he, he has literally a spreadsheet of, different phrases that he he thinks of or hears somewhere and he the spreadsheet is organized by the number of syllables in each phrase uh -huh. and the emphasis on what syllable so you know uh summer elaine and drunk dory this the melody is like summer elaine so he had to like alter the summer because summer is the emphasis on the you uh -huh. so anyway he he basically goes through and cr he listens to a song that he likes here's the chord progression does the chord progression on uh, a recorder, stores that in a database, organizes it by a file name that he he takes this original song title that he has the gets the chord progression from, uh, uses an anagram generator with yeah. the name of the song, saves it under that name so that he forgets what song it comes from. And when he wants to write a song, he goes through and he goes through all these chord progressions and then he starts coming up with a melody and then he uses that melody to go into his database of different syllables. And at the end, he has a song that kind of sounds like it makes sense, but he's like, none of it means anything. Wow. And he's like, the reason I do that is because back in the day, he would write all these like heartfelt songs and all this, but then he knew what it was about and he got tired of singing it. And he's like, if I don't know what the song is about, it keeps it fresh to perform. Yeah. So now all of Weezer's songs, the new stuff is basically just collections of weird phrases that don't really have any kind of... So that's because there's, um, is it Sega Ross who use um, Hoplandic? They kind of have a, like a made up language. Really? Yeah. That And it, it sounds so evocative and it sounds like it means something, but it it doesn't. Yeah, and it's, it's brilliant. Great. And they call it Hoplandic. And it's, um, yeah, and it, it, so it, it actually communicates a huge amount. But just like our, our first beginnings of language, when you're communicating to a baby, you're making it, it's a made up language that mm -hmm. communicates emotion without without necessarily meaning involved. Yeah. So yeah well, very good. I was uh, in line at Starbucks because I, you uh, wanted your mm -hmm. tall caramel latte. <laughs> and uh, I, I was in line and I was... There's a baby in front of me and it wasn't looking at me at all, but I just started smiling really big in the event that it looked at me. Yeah. And then I realized that I was just staring at this kid with like <laughs> a big facial expression. And I was like, oh, I look like a weirdo right now. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you get this all the time. Like if you're at a party and you're having this intense conversation and you're really into it, and then momentarily you both completely forget what you were talking about, what was going on, where you were going. 
And then you kind of realize, oh yeah, what was important here was not actually the content of what we were saying. Mm -hmm. It was the saying itself. Mm-hmm. Like that was what was important. So sometimes it's uh, the meaning is kind of gets in the way of just the connection. Yeah, the being present, the, being the present, sort of, yeah, yeah actually. Because yeah. I mean, that I imagine it also. Because I tune out a lot when you're talking. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah the uh, part of the reason I would drink at a, a party would be to have that feeling of just like thereness. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, I'm here now. Whereas if it's not there, you're in your head, you're thinking, you're stressed out. So a conversation like that, we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, no. All right. I'm a person. I don't know what you're talking about. Cool. And you yeah. move on. But then marijuana does that, but not in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you see cats on marijuana, which was very fun. Yeah, you've seen cats twice now? Yeah. Wow. Magical Mr. Mistoff. What was that like? The second time was a riot, dude. It was a rented out theater and it was me and Grace and then Sarah Whittle, the whole like Smosh gang, um, Steve Zaragoza was there. Whole, literally whole theater of just us. And then all the servers, like it was one of those theaters that you can order drinks and food. Um, I've actually never seen a theater like this. Like it, it, they, the cup holders had a cooling thing. You could click oh, it. Wow. And then like they, you know, it reclined. It had a USB outlet so you could charge your phone during the movie. Like it was, I've never seen anything like it. And uh, the waiters were just like, this is insane. Cause they didn't know that. Like, and they were taking photos before we went in <laughs> of cats 630 sold out, which makes no <laughs> sense at this point. And uh, it's only sold out because Sarah's. Uh, husband came in, was, uh, Claudio. You met Claudio. Oh, we yeah, played yeah, poker. He's yeah. Good. He's yeah. Good. He was like, I want to buy all of the tickets for the. And they were like, What? <laughs> and they're like, Yes, I want to buy the entire theater's worth of tickets for the, to see cats. <laughs> and he's very Italian. That's a horrible uh, accent. Uh, but um, yeah, it was very, very fun. So I was going to guess New York, it. New Yorker from that accent. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> Have so you, he bought he bought all the tickets up. Yeah, and they gave thing. him a discounted rate, so it ended up being like yeah. five bucks a person. We're like, yeah, we're gonna go do for five bucks a person. Very good. Uh, have you seen Knives Out? No, I haven't actually, Dude, but I've heard it's good. You gotta. Yeah. You gotta. If okay. I was gonna be in town this weekend, I'd say we should go see Knives Out. It's so good. Right. So anyway, uh, do you have any right. final takeaway? Oh, yeah, type yeah. Of stuff? I feel like we're kind of there's still, loads of stuff to we, yeah. we, we can't get into, but yeah, but I want to talk about hypnosis more too yeah. at some point. Yeah, because the thing, the main, okay, the main takeaway, because that was just kind of a fun conversation mm-hmm. about addiction, but I think <laughs> as they all are, yeah. <laughs> but the uh, the idea that um, that our does even even our addictions, our deepest desires, actually are connected to other people's desires, the desire of others, and partly coming to see how our even most intimate desire of you know I just drink this type of uh, vodka or this type of scotch, and that's my desire, that's what I love. When you start to unpick it, you start to realize that it's because of maybe you saw your dad drink that, or your friends, or you've know you got some TV show, or there's a whole pile of other people's desires involved in what you're doing. And um, kind of just beginning to see that can be enough to weaken the link yeah what you're doing that's my that's my final final thought is yeah to echo what you're saying in doing this process i've realized what gives me the most anxiety is definitely not not drinking it's is everyone else going to be okay with me not yeah. drinking? Because yeah. I'm definitely in the camp of like people, like you were saying last week, like I, you should see, like let's have a gin and tonic, like yeah. let's have fun, whatever. And so there, the 
the big question mark is, am I going to be with uh, okay with other people being yeah. okay or not being okay with me drinking or being confused or having to explain? It's always still related to the other person. So, Whereas yeah. me personally, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. It's, it's fine. I could yeah. actually not do it. But then, especially now that's like actually I'm seeing the stress start to pop up, which is really interesting. And like yeah. the darker stuff start to pop up. And I'm like, well, if that's happening and it wasn't happening before, something is is a good. Plus just, dude, the amount of dreams I've had, like I've had like started to have um, actual, I think, like unconsciously oh. driven dreams, not just like I took too much melatonin or ate something weird, but like actual stuff. I'm like, oh, there's like all, there's a whole world of things that um, are there that I think have just been dormant because I've been yeah. over. Yeah. I've been partying. Yeah. So. And that and that's what you're talking about. Like even when you, people give up the concern of what people are going to think, that's that's how we're structured as human beings. We desire others' desire. And if we stop drinking, there's sometimes the tension of just without, you know, you know your friends don't care, but of like, how am I, is that going to be an issue? You're gonna, mm -hmm. And um, that's the thing about when, we, when we're ships cast to sea, just caught in other people's desires, we kind of move from one thing to the other. The, the the trick is how can we be so embrace our own desire that that um, we're not that we're able to do what we want to do. We can yeah. kind of basically embrace our own desires. That's what Nietzsche meant when he talked about um, in saying yes to your fate. He kind of goes like somehow you sub you subjectivize your desires, you embrace your desires, and uh, you're less concerned about what other people think. And partly that can make you an asshole because you're less likely to give in to peer pressure. Mm -hmm. So at parties, you can be the one who just says no. But actually that's more attractive. When you're, if you're at a party or you're a social more respectable. gathering, yeah, yeah. More respectable, and you're your own person, it's actually very, um, it's a very appealing characteristic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so. That's uh, in, in that, in the book he talks about, he's like, have you ever seen, as someone who drinks, have you ever seen someone who doesn't and actually looked down on them. He's yeah. like, I bet he's like, if you look at someone who just chooses not to drink, there's a party that's like, not jealous, but respects it. And yeah. it's like, oh yeah, that's a better way to be. But then to get there, when it's your, you yourself, you're thinking the whole time, like, no one's gonna respect, this is gonna be so embarrassing and da, da, da. And you don't realize that everyone's just like, it's almost like everyone's at the party waiting for someone to be like, we don't have to do this. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's impressive. Uh, I, I have a friend who has no, he's so self-confident and so embraces his own desire and he can go to a party. And you know, one of the things we do at parties is we hold on to drinks. So partly a drink is not to drink it, but to have something that we're holding mm -hmm. on to, you know, um, kind of the, the mother's breast or whatever to protect us. And uh, he can stand without a drink, hands in his pockets, in the center of a party, completely confident, no sense of insecurity at all and it's very it's a very appealing quality it's like oh my goodness that person just doesn't care they don't need a cigarette in their hand they don't need to hold a glass they don't need to look at their phone you know yeah. all these things that we do oh just, the phone is a phone the phone's is, a massive that's a one different now, yeah. yeah so he could just lean against the wall and just kind of and not not even feel the need to talk to anybody just look around but of course and you people, think he genuinely feels that way yeah i know him he's an asshole he's yeah. lovely he's great he's a good really good person just does not give a fuck yeah. and uh but and that that makes you um you know and i watch it and i watch how people then come up to him because yeah. it's going like oh wow there's a person who just is his own 
guy. It's a whole it's a whole world when you start just doing the thing that you want to do and not letting. Yeah, the, it, which cl- goes back before we re- hit record on this talking about uploading videos to my YouTube channel and being like, is it you know okay? And is it people not liking it and all that stuff? But it was I. He was like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, I. I partially do but yeah. then the other part is like no i want to upload them so but let us know if you haven't enjoyed this or you don't oh yeah it, please but, do yeah <laughs> um and if you're just still listening that's great too uh enjoy but yeah yeah thanks and pete was so flattered by all the nice things you guys said about oh yeah his, it was lovely his attractiveness and he's just <laughs> I think people, you have a new sweater it's, i've got a feeling people thought i was like 60 years old or something what do you think i don't know think whenever, i don't know yeah, yeah i'd love to know what people I, it'd be funny to see what people would draw you as who have never actually seen your face, just yeah. heard your voice. Like, I wonder what. I've had, I have a blindness sometimes to the attractiveness of, uh, well, dudes mostly, but sometimes just other people in general. And um, I think it was like a couple months ago, somebody was talking about you and me, and they're like, yeah, you guys are like both like attractive dudes. And I was yeah. like, oh, I was like, okay. Yeah. That's nice thank you. to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most important thing anyway. Yeah. Um, cool. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.